Welcome to the Evolutionary Androgen Podcast. I'm Charlotte Alea, and I am on a quest for the stories that reveal to us our evolutionary potential. I search folklore throughout time and from around the globe that hold the keys to transform humanity's current crisis, from fractured and separated to whole and healed. As we unify feminine with masculine, a new version of us is emerging. Longing for home. There is a word in Welsh, hiraeth, that means the feeling of being homesick for a place that you cannot return to or that may or may not actually even exist. What really is at the heart of this longing for home, this deep yearning for belonging or going back to the place we came from that so many of us experience? And why can't we find it? Home, that is. I often think about the fact that so many of us who are alive on this planet right now living at least somewhat stable lives, come from ancestors that at some point lost their homeland. Ancestors that either left voluntarily in the hopes of a better life elsewhere or were forced to leave by others. I can personally attest to the experience of returning to places where I have ancestral roots like Ireland and the UK, and feeling a marked and indescribable experience of being home. Like I'm reuniting with a part of me that I had lost and forgotten and didn't even know I needed and loved so deeply. In these experiences of ancestral homecoming, I feel an unbreakable bond with the land itself. I feel the land as my mother, my second skin, a comfort, a peace, a feeling of wholeness returns to me, and I don't want to leave. But I do, because here's the thing, it's not my home. I believe I'm meant to be here in the part of the world where I live, which is the central coast of California, by the way. Yearning for a faraway place that my soul remembers does not mean necessarily that I am meant to go back and live there. Maybe that feeling of reunion I experienced was more like a sign A message from my soul saying, yes, home is within your reach. If you can experience it here, you can experience it elsewhere. Perhaps the experience of Hiraeth is actually about something else, something deeper to the human experience, something that predates the colonizations and great migrations that occurred and that have now created the incredible diverse melting pots of our metropolises. 
Perhaps home is something much greater than a physical spot on earth. There was a time, even deeper and further in all of our ancestral histories, that all humans were migratory, where they carried home with them wherever they went. In this episode, let's attempt to answer what really is home and what would it mean to come back home to ourselves, to our wild, infinite, and mysterious natures. As we take this next step, we enter into the citrine ray of ecstasy. Think of every step we take on our evolutionary quest as one ray of a rainbow. So here's another question to grease our wheels. What is ecstasy? Is it orgasmic pleasure, that peak of experience when your mind surrenders to parts of your body that take over and wash you with wild and unstoppable pleasure? And what the heck does ecstasy have to do with home? Okay, stay with me. Ecstasy is certainly something our minds cannot control. It is a function of the body and yet rooted into parts of our body that remain somewhat mysterious, that are wired into something ancient and even animalistic. Ecstasy is compelled by attraction, the erotic coming together of parts that want to be whole, and the momentary experience of being whole, of coming home. So ecstasy is that fleeting experience of arriving home. Is it always of an erotic nature? I would say not. I would say... My experience of stepping barefoot through a grove of birch trees in Ireland was ecstatic. And touching the ancient stones of Avebury Stone Circle was ecstatic. Does ecstatic have to be fleeting? Again, I would say no. I don't believe ecstasy has to be a fleeting experience of peak sexual pleasure. I believe we can expand what this word means for us. I believe we can weave ecstasy into our lives by coming home to the wild, infinite, and mysterious natures of our bodies. In order to go deeper with this, we need a mythic lens. So let's introduce the story of our episode the story of the Selkie. A Selkie is a mythic creature found in traditions all over Northern Earth, from Celtic and Norse to Siberian and indigenous North American. The myths of the Selkie are prolific and seem to be older than time. A selkie is a mythical creature of the sea that can morph between seal and human form by putting on or removing their seal skin like a coat. 
Most of the stories you read have to do with female selkies marrying or coupling with human men. For this episode, I was particularly inspired by the mythic version written by Clarissa Pinkola Estes in Women Who Run With the Wolves. I first read this story in her book many years ago, and although I have come across a lot of other versions, it is still my favorite. You know, as a side note, Women Who Run With the Wolves is a treasure trove of folklore that has high contemporary relevancy, and this is a must-read amongst anyone who is interested in a feminist lens of folklore. Okay, the Selkie. Let's begin. This story takes place a long time ago in a land in the far north next to the sea where snow blanketed the ground year-round and ice capped the water just about all of the year. In this place, the people make their clothes from bearskins and spend their days hunting and fishing. In this place, great plump gray seals swim into the shallow waters and bathe on the shore, keeping their distance from the humans. In this land, the ocean is the keeper of secrets, one of which is that the seals do more than sunbathe. At night, it is known that the females amongst them come onto the shores of small islands, remove their seal skins, and emerge into slender human form. They dance in the moonlight, whole herds of them. They howl and sing and kick their feet as they feel the ecstasy of the midnight air upon their limbs, breasts, and bellies. It is one such night in particular when the moon was full and a group of three seal women sang their songs to the moon. Great songs of love and longing sprinkled with laughter. It sounded to a passing fisherman like a whale song at dawn. His curiosity peaked. He steered his boat in the direction of the beautiful sound and soon came upon this group of dancing naked women, their skin like shimmering silver. This fisherman spotted the seal coats upon a rock and, without thinking, grabbed one of them and took it into his boat. Soon the seal women finished their revelry and the tallest amongst them searched all around the island for her seal skin and yet could not find it. She searched while her two seal companions joyfully slipped back into the watery depths. The seal woman searched until she found the man in the kayak hiding behind a boulder. She started and tried to cover herself with her arms. The man was emboldened by her beauty and said, Be my wife? Your wife? The seal woman was taken aback. It was you who took my seal skin. Return it to me immediately, she demanded. Be my wife, he said again. I cannot be your wife. I am one who lives beneath, she said, 
signaling towards the great black ocean, its surface shimmering with moonlight. Be my wife, the man repeated, and in seven years, I will return your seal skin to you, and you may return to the ocean, or stay as you wish. The seal woman was indignant and was about to protest yet again when she looked into the man's eyes and saw a great chasm of loneliness. She looked at the moonlight shining upon his cheeks and saw that tears had formed rivets down his sunken, sullen face. She took pity upon him. All right, seven years she agreed, and went to live with him as his wife. Soon they had a son named Uruk, whom she loved very much. In the winter months, she passed the time by telling Uruk tales of all the wondrous creatures that live beneath the surface of the ocean. And in the summer, she would point to curls of smoke or passing clouds and show Uruk the shapes of walrus whale, salmon, and, of course, seal. But as the years went on, the seal woman began to lose her luster. Her skin became dull and gray, no longer shimmering. Soon, too, she began to lose all her body fat. She became sick and thin. As a few more years passed, her eyes became cloudy and white, and her hair began to fall out. She lost her appetite and slept late into the day. As even more years passed, her skin began to flake and peel. She walked with a limp and began to lose her sight and had to find her way with her hands. Ulrich watched as his mother's health withered. He was afraid that she would die. One night, He was awoken by great shouting and crying outside the hut. He peeked his head outside the door and saw his mother crying on the ground and his father shouting at her from above. You hid my sealskin seven long years ago, and now the eighth winter comes. I want what is mine returned to me, his mother cried. And you would leave me all the sooner if I gave it back to you his father shouted back. I don't know what to do. Look at me. I only know that I need what was always rightfully mine, she pleaded. I will not be left wifeless, he shouted and began to storm towards the door. Ura quickly snuck back into his bed before his father saw him. He cried himself to sleep. He feared losing his mother. He loved her so very much. But Uruk was soon awoken again, this time not by shouts, but by song. A far-off, beautiful, and eerie song that seemed to be singing his name. Uruk, Uruk. Uruk crawled out of bed quickly pulled on his deerskin parka and muckluck boots and went out into the starry night. Ooh, he followed the call to a cliff 
overlooking the sea, and there out in the water, dashing amongst the waves, was a huge silver seal with long whiskers down to his chest and eyes of gold. Uruk, Uruk, it beckoned him. Uruk stumbled down the edge of the cliff with only his determination and starlight guiding the way. He made it onto the shore and was running so fast towards the water's edge that he tripped and fell onto a large bundle on the sand. It felt soft, silky, and slippery beneath his body. He shook it out to discover the soft bundle to be his mother's sealskin. Uruk, the singer of his name, now seemed to laugh. His mother's scent was all over the sealskin, and it was so intoxicating. He breathed it in like a starving bear would consume a fish. He covered his body in his mother's soft skin and felt the undying love she had for him and him for her. All of her mother was here in this skin, vibrant, healthy, and full of life. In addition to parts of her he had never met before, all the secret places she had recounted stories about, but that he had never gotten to experience firsthand. It was all here in the scent and sensation of her skin. As the boy wrapped himself in his mother's skin and began to climb up the cliff to go home, the great silver seal in the ocean finished his song and disappeared beneath the surface. The seal woman was waiting for her son at the door as he ran into her arms. She swept them both up in gratitude for their return and pulled her long lost sealskin back onto her body. She turned to face the ocean. A great longing consumed her whole being. A longing that felt older than she, older than time. A longing to return home. Oh, mother, no, please, don't leave me, Uruk cried. The seal woman was pulled between staying for the love of her son and the great beckoning within her to return to the sea. She scooped her son up into her arms, wrapped him in the folds of her sealskin, and headed for the sea. As she reached the shore, she held her son's face in her hands, opened his mouth, and breathed once, twice, three times into his lungs. And then she plunged them both into the water, and down, down, down they swam. With her boy still in her arms, deeper they swam as they both breathed easily under the great depths. They swam a long time until they came to an underwater city of seals, joyously dining, singing, and dancing amongst themselves. They swam through this seal city until they came to the great big seal with the long whiskers and golden eyes that Uruk had seen and heard singing his name. The big seal embraced Uruk and called him grandson. He then looked to his daughter with concern in his eyes and asked her how she fared. She looked away and said that she was sick. She said that she had broken the heart of a human man, but that she could not return, that she would die a prisoner if she did. And the boy, the great seal asked, he cannot stay. His time has not yet come to be with us. 
Her voice shook with grief as she spoke. For seven days, the boy Uruk stayed with his mother in her underwater home amongst his seal family. And within that time, he witnessed his mother's hair growing back, the silver shimmer and luster return to her skin, her eyes clear, and her body become plump and curved once more. After the seventh night before daybreak, the seal woman and her seal father swam the boy between them up, up, up to the surface of the ocean, returning him to the stony shore. His mother's golden eyes looked deeply into his own. I will always be with you, she said. Look into the curls of smoke and find me there, singing to you once more. Touch what I have touched, and I will breathe the winds of my heart into your lungs. She kissed her son many times as did his grandfather, and at last they tore themselves away and returned to the sea without him, because it was not Uruk's time. The years passed, and Uruk grew up. His reputation as the boy who was stolen and returned by the seals preceded him. He became a great storyteller and singer, recounting tales of the mysterious creatures that lived within the ocean's depths. And it is said that sometimes he would be spotted late at night, his kayak stalled and tethered to an island far out, peering into the ocean's depths as if speaking or singing to the mysterious creatures that lived beneath the surface. Leaving home, coming home. Love takes us away and love brings us back. Why do we leave? That part of us that is compelled to abandon our nature, our home, as the Selkie women did? Do our hearts lead us astray? Or are we meant to lose ourselves so that we may be gifted by finding ourselves again in a whole new way? This is one of those stories that could be told, read, and interpreted in so many ways. But in this reading of the Selkie, let's view her leaving her ocean home as a metaphor for the moment that we, as infinite immortal souls, are born into our mortal earthly human bodies. Just as a sulky leaves the ocean, we leave the watery realm of our mother's wombs. In Celtic fairy lore, the world is separated into three realms, earth, sky, and sea. The sea is the underworld, the place that we return to as souls after we die. It is also the home of many magical creatures, which we discussed in episode two. Just as the Selkie woman removes her seal skin, as we crown through our mother's vaginas, we leave the underworld realm of soul and spirit. And just as the Selkie loses her skin, we also lose something quite precious. We lose the remembrance of our souls, who we really are. 
We forget that we are immortal. We forget that we are souls having a human experience. We forget all our past lives and soul's gifts. We must all go through this veil of loss and forgetting to be born into this world. The fisherman is not a villain. He is our fate. He represents the human frailties our soul is born into with all our ancestral trauma and wounds. All of this we must learn to reconcile if we are ever going to remember who we really are. When we remember who we are, we return home. The seal woman, as a representation of our soul having a human experience, gives birth to a son who becomes a bridge between two worlds. One, a world of physical form and humanity. The other, a world of soul and mystery. Through love, our souls create a bridge between our infinite nature and our finite human circumstances. But the selkie becomes sick. Her whole physical body begins to break down. Has this happened to you or someone you know? Meaning, I know I have heard so many personal accounts of spiritual awakenings that involved some kind of physical breakdown or sickness. For me personally, it was emotional breakdown. It was depression. But it could be both or either for any of us. One way or another, our bodies tell us that we are living a lie. We are living a life far away from home. And it feels as if we are going to die if we do not find a way to return to the remembrance of our souls. In truth, without our souls, we are not honoring our nature To be human is to be ensouled. We need our souls to survive, to live. The divine feminine archetype of this citrine ray is the ecstatic. The ecstatic teaches us that our bodies are portals to the greater mysteries and wisdom of our souls. Our bodies are so much more powerful than we recognize We are culturalized to control them, box them in, constrict them, and label them as purely mechanistic machines. This is the first lie we must unlearn to come home to our ensouled natures. Our bodies want to be unbound. Our bodies are not meant to survive in a masculine paradigm of operation and control. We crave the energies of spirit of the deep, of the mysteries. Our soul will not be found in our minds. Our bodies unbound and rewild themselves through self-pleasure, through submerging ourselves into a connective feeling being world rather than a polarizing thinking and doing paradigm. What would happen if we let our bodies direct us? Where would they lead us? For many of us, one way or another, our bodies awaken to their true and soul natures and compel us back home. 
And if we refuse to listen, it may end up as a live or die situation. The soul cannot survive purely in the world of form. It needs to be submerged in the mystery, in the place of wonder, depth, and myth. It will draw us back there eventually, and it will lead us into reconciliation with our fate, the karma that preceded us in human form. Our destiny leads us back home, just as a seal woman's did. When we lead a life of love, just as a selkie did, eventually those benevolent invisible spirit guides and ancestors will nudge us in the direction of coming home to our ensouled bodies. They'll lay our true nature before us like a seal coat on the shore. Whether we choose to notice, however, is another matter altogether. Returning home means trusting the journey that will take us home to ourselves in divine time when we follow the heart. All we need to do is anchor ourselves into love. One of the most beautiful messages in this story is about having faith. Even when it seems our lives are falling apart, our ancestors have not abandoned us. They are waiting for us are waiting for the right aligned moment to arrive and will come assist us when we most need them. But we must be open. We must be listening. We must be honoring the calls of our body to return home, to experience the wholeness for which it has always yearned for so that it can finally feel truly ecstatically alive. The question is, in order to come home to the remembrance of our souls, do we become the sulky? Do we permanently return to the wild waters of our infinite and mysterious natures? Or are we landbound like Ulrich, destined to bridge two different realities, one of form and one of the infinite? Ulrich's experience of returning to the ocean for one week reminded me of a plant medicine journey or a mushroom trip or a shamanic breathwork experience, some incredible and beautiful spiritual awakening where you see and experience the goddess firsthand, where you experience your own divine, infinite, godly nature And where you are rolling in this ecstatic connection with all, with nature, with everything for hours or even days. And then it fades. You are left with the memories and the lessons that change your life, but you're not in it anymore. You move on. You go back to a more physical, less mystical, everyday experience. The divine masculine archetype of the citrine ray is the bard. Now, we have seen him before in the story of Taliesin in episode 3. After Ulrich's reunion with his own wild and boundless nature, he becomes a storyteller, a singer, a bard. His muse is his wild feminine other half, his mother, 
the masculine tells the tales whispered and sung to him through his dreams and his trips into the wild, deep, imaginal realms of mystery. Perhaps we are both the Selkie and Ulrich, and maybe it is the love between them, mother and son, that we can integrate within our own being. Love of our human nature, love of our expansive, mysterious soul. The two compelled into each other's hearts through the breath while living in two different realities. But maybe also there is a place and new home where those two different realities can become one again, like an island in the sea, and maybe we can create that here on earth. A reality where we allow the infinite potential of our soul to set up home within our bodies, where we allow our bodies to guide us into the deeper ecstatic experience of a soul getting to live out an experience of form. Think about it for a second from your soul's perspective. What if spirit engineered a way for it to feel the boundless love it knows that it is? And what if our bodies as souls in physical form are that genius of engineering? What if we are just beginning to tap into the actual breadth depth, magic, and pleasure that our bodies are truly capable of experiencing? And what if all we have to do to tap into this potential is surrender into love? Surrender into the love of our bodies, unboxing, unbounding, and unlimiting ourselves surrender into the truth that we set ourselves free, not just for us, but for those that came before us, and that this is karmic reconciliation and healing. What if we were to surrender into the truth that our souls have always lived in our bodies, that this is not a return home, but a return to remembering that we already are home. What if all we need to do is check our minds at the door and let our bodies lead us into the vast and mysterious realms of feeling and being? And by doing so, by opening that shut door, what if we were to remember that home is the embodied manifestation of divine love? I can't help but think of that famous quote from Gabrielle Roth that goes, In many shamanic societies, if you came to a medicine person complaining of being disheartened, dispirited, or depressed, they would ask one of four questions. When did you stop dancing? When did you stop singing? When did you stop being enchanted by stories? When did you stop being comforted by the sweet territory of silence. Dancing, singing, storytelling, silence. All creative, ecstatic realms of the body in ceremony. What medicine does your ensouled body crave? Feel into it right now. 
What does your body tell you about what it needs in order to know itself as and sold once again? The island in the sea where two worlds meet, one of the soul, one of the body becoming one again. This is the new earth that I believe in. This is the reality that I choose to anchor into my own consciousness and thus our planet. One day this reality will not be suspended as an island in the sea. As each of us, one by one, come home to our unsold bodies, we anchor an embodied manifestation of divine love upon our planet. This embodied physical manifestation of divine love was always the blueprint of our planet, Mother Earth, and was always our divine inheritance, and it will be woven by us en masse. That is my prayer. It is time to remember that we are home and to remember what a wonderful thing it is for us as souls to be alive. The theme of Mother, Son, Feminine, Masculine Love continues in the next episode of The Evolutionary Androgen. That's the one hint I'll give you about the next episode. We'll be back in a month with a different story from a different part of the world as we journey to the pink ray of love. You have been listening to The Evolutionary Androgen, A Mythic Quest, with me, Charlotte Alea. If you liked this episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for tuning in.